Father, now we give our attention to the hearing of your word. And I pray that you'll speak to our hearts, that we will hear the things that you would have us to say, that you'll give us the illumination to be able to understand and to be able to apply them. I pray that you will search the motivations of our heart. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will teach us what you would have us to know. We love you. We trust you to do that. We are so grateful, so grateful to be yours. In your name I pray. Amen. We have been studying from the book of Colossians what it means to be a praying church, a call to prayer, and a call to intercede for one another as we looked at the Apostle Paul and, one of the, and his prayer for the church at Colossae. And one of the things that he did was he prayed for their good works, for their fruitfulness, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God, that they would increasingly know God. He's praying for them as a people, and he's praying for them as a church. And of course, that always comes to where our text is today. We began in verse 15 with last week. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the, the preeminent one of all creation. It goes on to calling the Lord of creation, for by him were all things created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, and not only tangible things, thrones, kingdoms, dominions, rulers, authority, all things were created both through him and for him. And he is before all things, antecedent before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is our, our, our God. He is our, our sustainer, our keeper. One of the things that we have learned and one of the things that we, we know, hopefully more and more as we age and as we mature, is that when you are exposed to a truth, you, you, you didn't have an opportunity to respond. You believe it, you act upon it, or you can ignore it, you can dismiss it. But God's Word for the communicated to the hearts of believers is truth that demands a response. If this is true, then what? Because this is true, then what? What am I to believe? What am I to think? What, how am I to act? How am I to frame and structure my life? And so we're looking at truth that demands a response. We saw him as the Lord of creation, and now we're going to spend most of our time, or we'll, we'll spend our time today looking primarily at verses 18 19 and 20 and verse 18 is really the outline for our passage that we will study. Paul reminds us that there is something here and now, 2,000 years after the birth of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, something that generations of people have understood the essential truth that Jesus has left something for us here. Jesus planted, he started something, he's building something here on this earth for us to participate in now. And when we do, we are participating in the very life of Christ. Look how Paul describes it, explains it, at the very first phrase of verse 18. And he, speaking of Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. So we'll start where he starts. Christ is the head of the body. The body is an analogy, a picture that the Apostle Paul likes to use and uses often when he's talking about you and me, when he's talking about believers, believers who assemble together, people who have given our lives to Christ and been made new. Last week, we saw that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. So, in Old Testament days, if you wanted to see God, I want to see something that shows me God. I want to see God. You would be directed maybe to Mount Sinai, where clouds gathered and thunder rolled and the earth shook. Or 
maybe you would be sent to Mount Carmel where the altar that was drenched in water three times was consumed by fire that descended from heaven. Or maybe you would be pointed to the children of Israel in their 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And as they traveled to Kadesh Barnea initially, and there was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, or the Shekinah glory as it would settle over the tent of meeting as we see in Exodus chapter 33. You may be directed to Solomon's temple, the temple that David was not allowed to build, but Solomon was commissioned to build. And at the commissioning of that temple, the Shekinah, Shekinah glory of God settled upon it so that it filled the place of visible representation of God. You would certainly not have been directed to some statue or to some idol or to some image made by human hands for no image can encompass the glory of God, the reality of who God is. But then we see that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Some 2,000 years ago, God came, born of a virgin in a stable in Bethlehem, raised with his siblings. And if you were to ask in the Gospels, where might I see Jesus? Well, he's in the temple, carrying on discourse at 12 years old with the religious leaders of his day. He's walking along the shores of Galilee. He's being baptized by John in the Jordan River. He's accumulating crowds and teaching them the Word of God. He's healing the sick and the lame. At this point, he's passing through Samaria, meeting a woman at a well in the middle of the day, and reaching a whole town. He is entering, entering into Jerusalem on the donkey to the acclaim of the people of the city, and then a few days later, he's being beaten by soldiers. He's carrying a cross outside the city gates. He's hung on that cross. He's being taken off that cross and laid in a borrowed tomb, sealed behind stone. Then miraculously, on the morning of the third day, he's in the garden talking to Mary. He's appearing to the disciples, sometimes in small groups, sometimes one time at least in a group of 500 at one time. He's standing with 11 of the 12 on the Mount of Olives, and he's ascending into heaven. Where might I see Jesus today? In the Old Testament, you had the visible representation supernaturally from time to time. In the New Testament, you have Jesus. Now God has revealed himself to us through his Son. John says in John chapter 1, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. But from the Mount of Olives, Jesus ascended into heaven. So where do you look for God today? Show me God. What is the visible image of God? The picture that the Apostle Paul gives us is Jesus has a body. And folks, it's us. The body of Christ, believers and dwelled with the Spirit of God. He indwells His people. People He has called and drawn and convicted. People to whom He has granted repentance. He has and is making a people for Himself. No longer identified as a Jewish nation or as simply the Gentile peoples. It is a new body, a new people. And from Acts 13, we've become known as Christians. Those who follow Christ. And He gathers us. We are called ecclesia. The word church is is ek. Out of, and kaleo, to call. We've been called out of the world. We've been called together. We've been called to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a concern that I have as a pastor. 
And, and I think as a believer, but certainly I can't separate the two in my life and my calling. But it is our view or our understanding of the church. We often undervalue the church. I, I talk to people on a fairly consistent basis who identify church as a weekend activity, something that goes on the calendar. And we all, we all kind of fall into that trap because we live by calendars. We live by schedules. And so church is something that we do or it's a, a place that we go. And we go in order to make our lives better, something that can meet my emotional needs, something that can meet my social needs, uh, to give me a better way of living. But church is so much more. Church, according to New Testament teaching and reality experience that has been maintained and proven through centuries, is the visible expression of Jesus Christ. We are His hands and His feet, His mouth, His representatives, His ambassadors, His people. Years ago, my dad was a pastor at Arm Baptist Church in Arm, Mississippi. And I, when I mention this, I always ask, anybody here ever hear Arm, Mississippi? That's Arm, A-R-M, just in case you can't. Okay, just it, this might help. It's close to Prentice. So I don't know if that helps any of you or not. Uh, but it's in the center part of the state, small country town. I was a child somewhere between first and third grades. I remember that because I identify where we live by what grade I was in in school. So I was maybe first or second grade, and on the fifth Sunday nights, we would have a hymn sing. The minister of music and the pianist would be there, and people could call out, and they could request their favorite hymn or whatever hymn they wanted the congregation to sing. Well, I had recently learned one. I liked it, and I thought, I'll get them to do this, but I didn't want to speak up. And so I just told Mom, 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 and I showed her 363, 363, tell him 363. And so mom says, Marty wants us to sing 363. Well, I was trying to avoid attention on me. And everybody in the church just kind of looked at me. And I just kind of, I was first or second grade. I went below the pew quickly. But our music director announced hymn number 363. And we stood up and I thought, well, I asked for it. Everybody's already seen me. I'm going to sing loud. And I remember singing at the top of my lungs to the extent that mom pinched my shoulder. You guys ever get that kind of treatment from your mom and dad? Which was kind of rein in the enthusiasm, boy. But here's the song. started out while I was passing through, or while passing through this world of sin. And others your life shall view. Be clean, be pure, without within. You know the refrain? Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. I could go ahead and read you the verses, but the fourth verse, being a good Southern Baptist church in the country where I was raised, we always sang the first, second, and last verse regardless. We didn't always get them all, but we always sang the last one. Listen to how this was written. Then live for Christ both day and night. Be faithful, be brave and true. And lead the lost to life and light. Let others see Jesus in you. See, here's the truth that we need to grasp. And I, and I don't think that we fully just take the time to reflect upon it. And, it, and, and it's this. As individuals, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence within us and we become 
Something that we've never been before. We become a new creation. All of a sudden now, yes, it's still Marty. Yes, it's still the preacher's kid. And yes, he still struggles with a bad attitude. And yes, he still misbehaves here. And yes, he's still got this going on. And yes, he's still got that going on. But something has radically changed. All of a sudden, where my sins separated between me and my God, where I was spiritually dead, now I'm spiritually alive. And when I sin, and when, as I'm growing, as I'm becoming what He would have me to be, as He continues to shape me, He continues to instruct me, teach me, discipline me. He continues to conform me to the image of His Son. For my good? Of course for my good. But can I tell you, I don't think it's predominantly for my good. I think it's predominantly for His glory. I think it's predominantly because... It shows His love for me. It shows His holiness. It shows His righteousness. And it becomes a witness to others. And those disciples walked along the shore of Galilee and they listened to God. And they communed with God. And they saw Him work. And they saw Him interact. And there are people in Greenville, South Carolina, and in Powersville, and in Simpsonville, and in Greer, and in Traveler's Rest, And in Malden, there are people in Taylor's on the north side of town. There are people in Dacusville. There are people where you live who need to see and hear Jesus Christ. They need to know that there is a God and that He does, as we sang just a minute ago, work and move and transform lives. And He's worth our worship. He's worth our praise. Listen, what does Paul say here? Jesus The head of the body, the church. The church is more than Sunday morning at 10.30. i got to show up and go regardless of whether it's 23 degrees outside. The church is something that I have to do, a place to serve. No, the church is a people that have been redeemed who submit to the Lord Jesus Christ as our head. We are here for His glory. Christ is the head of the church, and the church matters. He's the one who established it. He is the one who said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Matthew chapter 16. He's the one who loves it. Ephesians chapter 5. In this whole passage where he's talking about husbands love your wife, he refers to Christ and his love for the church, and he comes down at the end of that passage and says, and this is the point, Christ loves the church. Because he loves it, we ought to love it. We need to recognize who we are. We are the bride of Christ, beloved of God. Now, can I give you just a couple of very practical applications of kind of a very low bar of what it means to love the church? The point that I want to make is we need to increasingly value the church. I need to increasingly value my church. I need to understand what the church is. I need to understand that Christ is the head of the church. And I need to increasingly value it. I need to increasingly love it. A couple of things, just really quick. Number one, if I love my wife, you should be able to tell it by the things that I say. Gentlemen, if you love your wives, you should be able to tell it, others should be able to tell it, by how you describe her and the things that you say about her. Yes or no? Yes? True? Wives, if you love your husbands, people ought to know it by the way that you talk about them to other people. 
Christ loves the church. Can I tell you that we ought to be careful how we talk about the bride of Christ? He loves her, and because he loves her, for no other reason than we ought to. And so, just as blunt as I can make it, stop complaining about the church. Now, no individual congregation is perfect. We serve a perfect God and a perfect Savior. Thank the Lord. And we are all in progress. As a matter of fact, what is going on in Ephesians chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6? Particularly 4, 5, and 6. And particularly 5 when he's talking about the, the love that Christ has for his bride. What's he doing? He's correcting them. He's saying that there are areas that you need to work on. You need to know who you are as a church. You need to know the gifts that God has given to you. You need to know that you are growing up and being joined together and built together for God's glory so that you're no longer to and fro. You need to stop some things like the way you talk. You need to start some things and continually be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And while he's correcting them, he's identifying the fact that we are beloved of God. No individual congregation is perfect, but we are all in progress and we are all claimed. We're all engaged. The groom's coming back. And we need to make sure that we work for the growth of the church while we stop complaining about the problems in the church. I guess the second thing is probably just simply enthusiastic participate in the church. How do you know that you're in love with someone? Well, you don't ignore them. You don't create them, make them second, third, fourth, fifth in your priority. Yeah, you, you don't just uh, turn your attention away from them to whatever comes along. And as the members of the body of Christ, we have become something new. Now we enthusiastically participate in His church. Uh, Carolyn Gregory's funeral was this week. It was Wednesday. Carolyn Gregory, as, as we were reminded, was 99 years and two months old. She was born January the 4th, 1923. She died on March the 4th of 2022. Um, she was orphaned as a child at 16 years old. She gave her life to Christ. She was baptized into the body of Pendleton Street Baptist Church at 16 years old. That was 83 years ago. For 83 years, she found ways to serve God through this church, and she didn't do it in some way to procure some sort of salvation. She served because of her gratefulness to God for saving her and her desire to honor Him. I think that for many of us, she serves as an example of what it means to find your role. Now, most of us here are not 99 years old. All right? Some of us may have been uh, contemporaries of, of Carolyn, but uh, she served in multiple ministries of the church. Uh, in the last 20 years, she cleaned the dining room tables in the fellowship hall. She worked in the nursery. Her predominant ministry over the last 14 years has been to be the greeter on Sunday mornings. We call her the Tic Tac Lady because she gives out orange Tic Tacs. I'm not sure if that has a collegiate significance or not, but orange Tic Tacs to the kids who would come in. And you think, does that matter? I mean, how big a deal is that? And can I tell you that every expression of service and love to Christ both in his body and through his body to the world, matters. 
And we'll come to this in the third point, which I'd better get to quickly. But we ought to keep in mind that as the body of Christ, as the church, we're under orders, we're under control, we're under the headship of Christ. Now, what is the authority? What is it that gives Christ the right to be the head of the church? Paul can continues to tell us what that is by giving us the foundation for the headship of Christ. Why is he the head? Because there's a specific point in time where he validates his leadership and it's his resurrection from the dead. What does he say in verse 18? He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. His authority always comes back to his validation in his resurrection. You guys remember when we were going through the messages in in the book of Acts? uh, Peter at Pentecost, uh, Stephen before the Sanhedrin, Peter in the temple courtyard, even Peter with Cornelius, and then we get to Paul's messages on Cyprus and Paul's messages in, in, in Lystra. And as they're recorded, as we went through that first missionary journey, we'll pick up with the second missionary journey at some point, but we, we got that far. Do you know what the recurring theme of the apostolic preaching was? The main thing that they talked about? It was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the central message of the apostle that we recently studied in Acts. And why? Because Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says, And he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness. How was he declared to be the Son of God in power? By his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Did Jesus do miracles? Yeah, but was he the only one? Did he claim to be God? A lot of people claim to be God. What is it that distinctly serves as his credentials, credibility, that he is what he professed and what he claimed to be? Is his resurrection from the dead. We serve him because he is the Lord. And the evidence of that, the most clear evidence of that, is his resurrection from the dead. Christ the firstborn from the dead. This is important. He has conquered death. Remember what he told Mary and Martha when Lazarus died? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And the one who believes in me shall never die. You see, what is death? It is the wages of sin. Isaiah 59, 2 says, Behold, your sins have separated between you and your God. Jesus told Adam and Eve in the garden, and the reality that we have recorded in Romans chapter 6, as you guys are familiar with, 6.23, and throughout Scripture, is that there is coming a day when these bodies will end, and at that point, there is a separation, and there is no other opportunities. There is an eternal separation. There are those who are going to be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven where in heaven and then as the Lord comes and establishes reign here but then there are others who are going to be cast out into the lake of fire eternal death Jesus conquered death he said trust in me and you'll never die this whole separation with God by your sins Jesus took care of that on the cross remember what he says here in Colossians chapter 1 we read verse 18 and we'll go back to it as our outline but Look at verse 19 and 20 as well. Colossians 1, 19, For in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him, 
to reconcile. This is doing away with the separation. This is rejoining to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How? By the blood of his cross. The bottom line of the church is that what we do is important. We are giving the world the opportunity to be free from the penalty of sin. To be free from death. And so we need to, Christ is the firstborn from the dead, we need to remember the importance of our purpose. What good is church? What good is church? Why does it matter? Does it matter? Why is it important? I mean, does it make our lives better? Sure. Uh, You guys ought to Google this. Don't do it right now. Save it for later. But you guys ought to Google this sometime. I love my church. And look at what people say. Have you guys ever tried that? You ought to try that. And some people do an outstanding job. I love my church because it's how I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I love my church because the Word of God is preached and taught. I love my church because, and you go through, and there's some really good things. But a lot of people are like, I love my church because I have friends there. I love my church because I like, you know, I, there's this and that or the other. But it always comes back to, First person singular pronoun, I, 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 I. I needed this. I want that. I need this. And we tend to approach church as consumers. I will go to a church as long as it meets my needs and satisfies my expectations. And can I tell you something? Church isn't about you and it's not about me. Church is about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the head of a church, head of the church. And, and what does that mean for us? It means that his purposes are to be accomplished in, a, in us. And what did he come to do? He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give life. He came to redeem. He came to reconcile us to himself. And we need to recognize that church isn't just putting something on the calendar or it's not just a fellowship. And those are good things. Trust me, I believe, I believe that a church ought to be active. I believe that a church needs to have a plan and needs to have a schedule. But that which permeates everything that goes on the calendar, that which permeates everything that goes in the schedule, that which permeates everything that's put in the budget, should be to glorify Christ by proclaiming the gospel, helping people move from death to life, and helping people who have come into life in the Lord Jesus Christ to increasingly... Know Him in order that others may, be, may, may respond to the gospel as well. So that He's glorified in us. Pendleton Street Baptist Church exists to glorify God. How do we do that? By making mature disciples. That's bringing the lost, the gospel, so that God can save them. That's bringing the saved, the word of God, so that we can grow in our knowledge of the will of God and of the person of God for his glory we need to recognize the importance of the purpose of the church he goes on and and the the last part by the way of of verse 18 is that in everything he might be preeminent another way to say that is simply he gets first place in everything he is supreme in everything he is Christ above all He's first place in our attention. He's first place in our time. He's first place in our money. He's first place in our effort. Jesus and His body is not to be relegated to the status of, I'll get around to it if I have time. I will serve or I will do or I will go or I will give. 
after this or when I do it or, or when I can get to it, and it's not much of a priority. You understand that when we talk about the preeminence of Christ, we're talking about the priority of Christ. The priority of Christ is the head of the church in this context, in our lives. And so the call there is to increasingly put Jesus first. To increasingly put Jesus first. I don't know that Jesus is going to call you to go to the Philippines as a career missionary. But he might. I don't know if he's going to send you to Thailand. I don't know if he's going to send you to Africa. I don't know if he's going to send you to the UK. I don't know where the Lord is going to send you to serve him for his glory. Right? Uh, he may send you to the far north. <laughs> he may send you to a place that you would rather not go. But I do know this. He's going to send you to work tomorrow. He's going to send you to school. He's going to send you to the grocery store. He's going to send you to the gas station. He's going to send you to take care of those parents and take care of those kids and play with those grandkids. He's going to send you to the sidelines at a soccer game. He's going to send you to the stands at a basketball game. As you go, as you go, remember the importance of our task. And remember that every aspect of our life is to be ruled by Christ. And that includes us corporately as a church. We make the decisions that we make not to preserve an institution. That's God's job. We make the decisions that we make so that God be increasingly glorified in our existence as His body upon this earth. Amen? Isn't that, isn't that good? I, I just think it's great. <laughs> one, of the, one of the great things about being part of a vital New Testament church is we see God. We see Him work. We listen to Him as we study His Word. We commune with Him as we pray. We get to serve Him and see His power expressed to us the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is the Lord of creation, there's no doubt. He is the Lord of the church as well. So we need to remember that the church is valuable and we need to increasingly value the church. We need to remember that Christ is the firstborn from the dead. He's verified by His resurrection. We need to remember the importance of what Christ is doing in us and through us. And we need to increasingly Remember that He is to be preeminent in all that we say and all that we do. Isn't God good? He is good indeed. Let's pray together. Father, thank You just for this understanding that Paul gives us when he gives us this Christology, this doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to remember that truth demands a response, that once we know something, we're responsible for what we do with that knowledge. Father, I'm grateful that the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of His church, and I pray that You will help us to increasingly value the, the only organization that Jesus Christ established. I hope You help us to increasingly understand the importance of our purpose. Jesus established the church, and in that Matthew 16 passage, it says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And gates are not 
offensive weapons, they're defensive weapons. The church is to be on the move as Christ is on the move, proclaiming the good news of salvation through His death on the cross where He reconciles people to God. Help us to not lose that. Help us to not get distracted from that. Father, all of this falls apart if we take the truth that Jesus is God, that Jesus is our God, and we just disregard it. We put Him in second place, third place, fourth place, anywhere except in the first place in our hearts and lives. So I pray, Father, that you will convict us and that we will increasingly more today than yesterday, more tomorrow than today, set our minds and our hearts and our lives on the person of and under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. In your name I pray. Amen.